in this moment of extremity, as all the world has taken a time out in the face of a mysterious virus that we yet do not completely understand, I read in Matthew chapter 9 something, and all of us would wish that Jesus would do for us today what he did there in the first century as he traveled through Galilee. Listen to the words. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Does it sound familiar? Distressed and dispirited. And then Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. If ever the world is received the truth of God in Jesus Christ, it seems to me that now is the hour. Distressed, confused, worried, broken. That's the posture of most of the world today. Wouldn't it be fabulous if in this moment of extremity, there would be workers and witnesses that would go out into the harvest and introduce the world, introduce everybody that we encounter to the Lord of life, Jesus Christ, the heart and the good news for all mankind. Maybe you're familiar with Penn and Teller. I've got a wonderful magician friend in Maui who knows of them, and they are, they have a big program there, I think, every week on television coming from Las Vegas, and they have magicians come, usually close-of-hand magicians, and they go and they perform, then Penn and Teller discern how they did that trick. To us, it seems supernatural, impossible, but they know all the background. They've studied that, and they're both magicians. And so they discern what they had seen and try to explain it so that those performing will know, hey, they know what we did. They know how this works. But Penn, the large guy, the teller does not speak, is a well-known atheist. And recently on Facebook, he wrote something, and I'll paraphrase it, that was very, very interesting. He said after a performance one night in Vegas, a man came up to him and said how much he enjoyed the show. It was very personable and warm and real. And, and he said he handed me a Bible. And he said, I want to give this to you. I, I'm proselytizing you. And he smiled. And Penn thanked him. And he said, you know, that touched me very deeply. He said, I knew he was trying to tell me about Jesus Christ. I knew he believed that I did not have Jesus Christ. I would not go to heaven. I would go to hell. But he said, you know, I admired that. 
And Penn says, I thought about it, an atheist now. I thought about it. How much do you have to hate somebody if you think they're going to hell when they go to heaven and you don't tell them how to go to heaven? Now, just hold that for a minute. How much do you and I have to not care about anybody when we have the way that someone can go to heaven and be with God rather than rejecting God and going to eternal punishment? How much would we have to hate that person not to speak that truth? And Penn went on and talked about it. He said it would be like someone who was about to be hit by a truck and you pull them out of the way. He said, how much would you have to be cold and indifferent that you let them go ahead and being hit by the truck rather than pulling them out of the way? That spoke to my heart. How we in this moment of confusion and question and fear and distress and worry around the world, what a time for you and me. We know in our church family, we're all selecting 20 people. And we're praying for them, and we're trying to be used as instruments to lead them to faith in Jesus Christ in the next year. Wouldn't it be fabulous if all of us who knew the Lord would understand this is the moment in which we will have an entree to tell people about the Good Shepherd. Now, if you are of a Jewish background or a Christian background, we all familiar with somewhat Psalm 23, even those outside of the understanding. We know that famous passage. We've talked about it. We've exegeted it recently. And it begins, the Lord is my shepherd. And we hear that at funerals, and we read it, and we've heard it recited dramatically. And we just sort of, it's one of those phrases that's slick in our minds. It doesn't have the heaviness the Lord is my shepherd. That's a sweet thing. But think about it for a minute. It's really a powerful confession of faith. For me to say, for you to say, the Lord is my shepherd, in the first place, it means that you and I have to understand that we are sheep. And all the way through the Bible, the symbol is used, the metaphor is used, that human beings are sheep. All we like have sheep have gone astray. Psalm 99 says, we are sheep of his pasture. And so you read the Bible, sheep are referred to time and time again. It always refers to human beings, to life. All we like sheep. But that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, this means that you and I have to understand that we're sheep. Now, if you know anything about sheep, that's not a compliment. Let me remind you about sheep. Number one, sheep are perhaps the dumbest animal God ever brought into existence. They are slow. They don't get it. They don't understand they are dumb. I didn't see the movie, but dumb and dumber and dumbest, whatever it was, that fits those sheep. Sheep are dumb. And here it says, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I'm a sheep. Therefore, you and I are dumb to begin with. Let's start there. And then we know that sheep have no sense of direction. 
They can get lost and they can know a wilderness is over here and beautiful fields are over here and they have no sense of direction. They'll just go right into the wilderness. They'll go and walk right off a cliff. They have no sense of direction. They have no way to recall where they've been before. More than that, sheep cannot find food for themselves. They have the inability to do it. And when they got in a pasture, they don't know the difference from poison, poison grass, and nourishing grass. They can't even find water. They have no sense in which they can smell water and go to a spring or to a brook. They don't have that capacity. And so you look at sheep, they have, they're defenseless. They, they may go over here in a whole pack of wolves and not blink an eye, and a fly might fly by, and they'll panic. See, sheep are rather pitiful animals, and they are totally dependent upon a shepherd. Prima facie evidence, one anthropologist says, against evolution is sheep. They have never evolved. They're dumb, dumb, and dumber. They can't function in life for any period of time. And you know about a cast sheep? Here's a big, healthy, strong sheep with a lot of fur. And they go and they roll over in the ground. They're getting a little indentation. They can't get up. They're like a turtle on its back. And the shepherd gets them back up and they move on. Maybe 30 minutes later, they'll do the same thing again. You can't find any more helpless, pitiful, directionless, ignorant, slow animals on the earth than a sheep. So read, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, that means you and I, we're like sheep. That passage in Matthew, it says that here are all these people who are worried and confused, and they are like sheep without a shepherd. And sheep without a shepherd cannot live, cannot survive on this earth. That's the powerful picture we have there in Psalm 23, and it is elaborated on by Jesus in John chapter number 10. Look at it. I hope you have your Bibles there with you. In John chapter 10, we read more about the relationship between sheep and a shepherd. Verse 1, Jesus is speaking. Truly, truly, he says, true truth, nail it down. He, he says, this is the truth, and I want to emphasize it yet again. It is true truth. True, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold, the sheepfold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now, we have to know something about sheep in the first century. They would have two types of sheep folds. I've seen both of them in Palestine. They'd have one type that would be in, in a town or a city. It would be a large, probably bricked-in place. And the shepherds would come into town, and they'd put all their sheep in that sheepfold. And they'd have one of the shepherds to stay at the door. And the next morning, the shepherds would come out to get their sheep, and they would speak to them and would read about this. They know their voice, and they would call their sheep out of that community sheepfold, and they would go out to pasture. 
But the sheepfold we're most familiar with would be those that the shepherd would build out there where they were pasturing their sheep. They would take thorns and stickers and all kinds of, of rubble there, and they'd build a sheepfold, and they would put it there. And that's where they would hustle all the sheep, lead all the sheep to go in there at night. Look at the rest of the picture Jesus gives us. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, leads them out, and when he goes forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Interesting. Here's the picture. They didn't have sheepdogs, usually. A shepherd would go and lead the sheep, and they would follow him. He would lead them to the sheepfold at night, and they would go in, and the shepherd would lie down at the door. He says, I am the door. This is Jesus. And therefore, no sheep could get out, and no wolf could come in unless they went over the shepherd. So the shepherd himself was the door protecting and defending the sheep. And when they would go out, he would examine everyone to make sure there were no beggar lice, there was nothing wrong with the sheep, and then they would go out to pasture. And the shepherd walk ahead of them. And he says, my sheep know my voice. It's interesting. Sheep in this day were usually not used for mutton, not for food, not very much. And they were usually not used for sacrifices, though sometimes sheep were there for their wool. And therefore, a shepherd would have a, a flock of sheep for an extended period of time. And he named every one of his sheep. Floppy, <laughs> curly, long nose, spotted foot. And he would call their names, every one of the flock, because he knew them personally and intimately. That's the way we see the picture here. The Lord is my shepherd. He walks ahead of us. He puts us in protective areas. He is the door. He protects us from leaving and getting out of line. He protects us from wandering off, and he protects us from any of those thieves or wolves that would break in. They have to go through him. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's how he shepherds us. We are sheep in his flock. And therefore, he knows everything about us. Let me ask you something. Is there anything in your life, any little area of your life you haven't yet surrendered to the good shepherd? You say, Lord, I give you all of my life, take everything, but I'm going to keep this little part for myself. A middle-aged woman went for counseling. In the process, she began to weep. She was a lovely lady, had a long, long relationship with her husband. They had children. They were active in the church. And she said, you know, it's kind of on my conscience that when my husband goes out of town for a week or so, maybe once or twice a year, I have an old boyfriend. And she says, I invite him to come over, and he spends one night with me. And says, you know, it only happens a couple of times a year. He said, she said, you know, I I just, it's beginning to bother me. I've sort of accepted it, but 
you know, once or twice a year, I'm unfaithful to my husband. And the counselor said, well, how do you feel about it? She said, well, when he comes over, I take all the pictures of my husband and I turn them face down, face down. And the counselor said, well, why do you do that? She said, I just can't look him in the eye. I wonder, is there any spot, any area of your life that the good shepherd does not have access to, that you can't look the Lord Jesus Christ, the shepherd of his sheep in the eye? Is there any area like that in your life? How sad it is. The scripture says, Sheep know his voice, and when they call, and by the way, the shepherd calls the sheep by a little sing-song way. They have little songs, little tune, da, 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 and the sheep will know that's my shepherd. That's how they identified. They didn't see well. They didn't understand, but they understood the voice of the shepherd, and they had a sing-song way of calling the sheep to follow them. Shepherd knows my voice. I read that. I thought about that story from mythology. Maybe you remember it. It's very familiar. There was an island, the, the Song of Siren, Ireland. They had these beautiful, sensual women there, according to mythology. And they would dance, and they would sing a song. And when the ships would come by, the sailors would stop, and they'd go to the island. And every time, they'd be destroyed. Therefore, on this island... Uh, there were all kind of bones. Through the years, lives had been destroyed by these sensual songs of these women. And so it was sorely well known. And so here we have Ulysses that's going on a voyage of conquest. Oh, and Cyprian comes to him and says, Ulysses, you'd better be prepared for that island when that, those songs are sung. Put wax in your ears. And so Ulysses did that for all the sailors on his ship, except he said, tie me to the mask. No matter what I say, lead me to that mask. We go by that island. And sure enough, the ship came by the island. The other sailors had wax in their ears. And Ulysses there was so beguiled by the sensuality and by the music and by those women. He cried out, let me go, let me go. Forget what I've commanded but they went by safely. Later on, Jason and the Agronauts were going, and they were going out looking for the Golden Fleece. And they knew also the problem with the Island of Sirens. And so when they went out, they said, what are we going to do? And Jason said, I have the answer. So when they got, they were approaching the island, all the sailors began to listen. You could tell they were already hearing that siren song of sensuality. But Jason brought Orpheus forward, who was a brilliant, brilliant musical person who could sing and call down the angels. And as these siren songs of sensuality were being sung, Orpheus began to sing, and he drowned it out, the sensuality. The voice of Orpheus covered up all the sensuality that was calling the sailors to wreck their lives on that island. Let me tell you something. If we listen to the voice of Jesus, he walks with me, he talks with me, he tells me I am his own. If Jesus wanted to speak to you and me, would we quiet enough, long enough, reflective enough, listening enough to hear?
shepherd says, I know my sheep, and they know me. When I call, when I speak. So we need to look at all these areas of our lives that may not be totally yielded to him. Let me tell you what I did years ago. I just sat down and I said, I want to list any area of my life that is not transparent to Jesus Christ. And I made a list. And I let the Holy Spirit deal with that in my life. You need to make that list. Also, I'd recommend that you take things that may tempt you. You, you, you've fallen before, slew foot, the devil knows how to trip us up again. Why not take and make a list? Lord, this is areas that I may fall in. Boy, my tongue will speak. Uh, I'll be impatient. Uh, Whatever it might be, write those temptations down and give them to the Lord. You see, he speaks to us. He talks with us. He tabernacles with us. He lives with us. And so we see the teaching here exactly of how. If the shepherd, he is our shepherd, we are to completely yield to him. Existentially, every moment of our life, it's his. And when that happens, freedom comes, joy comes, transparency comes, and a new life begins to happen. And we realize that we're sheep, and he is a shepherd. And what is a thrill it is to know that God in Jesus Christ is orchestrating our lives every second of every day. So we see here exactly the shepherd's relationship to the sheep. And then we see in the passage a wonderful thing. We see how also the good shepherd defends the sheep and the good shepherd blesses the sheep. And more than that, the good shepherd gives bounty to the sheep. Look at it in verse 7 of John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus, once again, say, hey, nail this down. Don't miss this. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. We already know that. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. As sheep, we do not hear all the siren calls. We do not follow all the dead-end streets that are available. We do not fall prey to mythology of foolishness. We not get involved in something that is called a church, but is not obedient to the principles and the prescription of a church that we find in the Bible. You see, we know authenticity. We know reality. We are enmeshed in the truth of God. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life, here it is, and have it abundantly. Some people think that being a Christian is slow and boring and and dull and not exciting. Jesus says, I came to give you life, to give you life that is overflowing. The word abundantly there means it's the picture of the ocean coming in with the tides and the tide comes in, and the wave swells, and it recedes. Only another tide comes in, and the wave swells. It's a life of abundance, a life of overflowing, a life of joy. The psalmist says, God came to give you and me joy. Isn't that great? To give us joy. Abundant life, overflowing life, a pitiful life, a, a free life. That's what happens. That is his 
provision for us, and that is protection of us. We know His voice. We know His steps. We follow in His steps, in His wake. We sheep, confident when He leads us into the pasture, into life. We know that we are coordinated with Him. We're in His army, and that's a thrilling thing. See, you and I, we're the glory of God. I go to an athletic event and, and watch the parents as they're watching their children play. <laughs> That's sometimes a better spectacle than watching the game. I mean, they're, they're into it. They're, they're with it. Go, go to an, an exercise in a school when a child has a part. Watch the parents. Man, they are thrilled to death. Watch parents as they watch their children, and you're seeing an exciting thing. Their glory, their, their thrill is in those children by the same token. Tragically, I've been there when parents watch their child coming out of a holding area where the child had been taken in by the police for drunken driving. Watch the face of those parents. How, how discouraged, how broken, how tearful they are. You see, Jesus looks at you and me, and we are sheep in his pasture, and he rejoices with us. And he wants to make sure that we stay following him, close to him. We can hear his voice. We can know his direction because we know the Father wants everything that is great and full and abundant for you and for me. I'm afraid that those who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ have let one part of the Bible being left out because there's been so much false interpretation. If I have enough faith, I'll always be healthy. If I have enough faith, I'll always be wealthy. That's not biblical truth. But there is an element of truth there because when I am a sheep in the pasture, the shepherd, he's doing everything he can in sickness and in health, in the top of the mountain, in the bottom of the mountain, to give you and me a life that is abundant. We can't miss that because it's been abused. The father, the shepherd, wants what's best for all his children. So we see the relationship, the relationship that sheep, have with the shepherd, and we see the provision and the protection the sheep have with their shepherd, and then we see something even better than this. We see how much the shepherd loves the sheep. Look at verse 11, chapter 10 of John. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, I want you to notice something. In verse 11 and all the way down in verse 15, and in verse 17 and in verse 18, Jesus said, a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In other words, Jesus puts his life on the line. The word for there means instead of, you could translate it, a shepherd lays down his life instead of his sheep laying down his life. So we're at the cross and we say, what in the world is the shepherd doing on the cross. The shepherd is on the cross laying down his life for his sheep. That's what he's doing. So you and I will have a straight entree all the way to the Father in heaven. When you say, the Lord is my shepherd, 
That is a tremendous statement when we're living out the role of the sheep. Now, I want you to see something I bumped into that I thought was very, very interesting. Look at verse 27 of this 10th chapter of John. My sheep hear my voice. We've talked about that. And I know them, and they follow me. Bottom line. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus said, my Father who has given them to me, sheep given to the shepherd, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says, when we are sheep and Jesus is our shepherd, like Jesus knows the Father, so Jesus knows us, and the Father knows us. We're all in the family of God. What a beautiful fabulous picture. It it is a picture to me that is out of this world. If you want to know, study 1 John, and 1 John teaches all of us one simple thing, how to be confident of eternal life. Isn't that tremendous? That whole little book, 1 John, how to be confident of eternal life. In other words, we've received Christ. We are now sheep. We're in the pasture of God. The shepherd makes sure we're in the fold. The shepherd makes sure that he leads us, he walks with us, he forgives us. And the wonderful thing is, that verse says, nothing can snatch us out of the Father's hand. Nothing, forever and forever, nothing. Now, we get confused there. That's the concept of once saved, always saved. If that's true, why can't you and I live our lives just like we want to. Why do we try to grow in faith? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we go to church? You know, I've gone through the motions. I've received Christ. Yes, I I want him to be my shepherd. You know, why do I have to do anything else? I can do anything, say anything, go anywhere, fulfill any desires. I can be mean or sweet. It makes no difference because the Father has me forever. I'm always safe and secure. Why is not this a license for sin? Why is not this blessed promise saying, you know, now I can do anything. I mean, I'm just free. I don't have to follow God. don't have to keep the commandments. I don't have to be kind. I can just be the kind of person that my flesh wants me to be. What is that that keeps us in the flock? of the shepherd. I was at the University of Alabama. An atheist challenged me about whether or not I believe in God, and and I turned around and discovered that God had been chasing me. I thought I was chasing God, and he became real to my life. I transferred from the University of Alabama to Mississippi College. It was a Christian school out from Jackson, Mississippi, And when I went there, I knew maybe one girl who was the same age as I was. But when I graduated from high school, I was not interested in going to a Christian college. You know, I was going to study engineering, which I did my first year. But I transferred there. I moved from the science area, the science area, you know, over there to the other side of the brain. And I moved over to the 
analytical area. And all of a sudden, I used the left side of my brain instead of the right side of my brain. And now I was majoring in history and minored in Bible and English. And so I went there, and there's a couple of guys from my school uh, back home in Laurel that were old and odd. They were there. And I knew this girl casually who happened to be in my class, but basically I didn't know a lot of people. And so I went to class, and, and we went to class then every day. I took a course in world history, and I went there for a week every day. And the second week I was there, and the assignment that Dr. Lee gave, who's professor at the college, was that we had to be able to trace the first two crusades and tell what motivated the crusaders, and also to explain how, when they were turned home, how this changed all the towns and cities and countries that they passed through. That was our assignment. And he said, I'll ask some people to stand and talk on that. Well, I went to class. I studied. I didn't know much about the crusade before then, but I studied rather diligently. And so I was seated there in the middle of the classroom, didn't know anybody in the room, just had met the professor as he taught that first week. And all of a sudden he says, Edwin Young, would you come up and go to the map and trace those crusades as I assigned the class and tell us how they influenced the area at that time. Now, this is what you don't know. Up to that moment in my educational walk through high school, I made my lowest grades when I was asked to answer a question in a class, when I was asked to make a little speech or a talk, I couldn't do it. I really couldn't. I, I, I was mute. I, I was so self-conscious. I was so unsure. And I just would shake so much. It was a pitiful sight to behold. And here I was, you college, sophomore, asked to get up and trace the crusades that first two and tell how they influenced people. But because I didn't think I'd be called on, I'll tell you, I think I know why I was called on. My last name begins with a Y, and I'm always at the bottom of the list of any alphabetizing, and I think he looked down and got the last one. Edwin Young, come and do this. I went to the map, and I, as best I could, I traced the Crusades. I told the influence. I went up and down, and I talked maybe three minutes, maybe, maybe four, and I sat down. And when I sat down, I hadn't realized that, you know, I'd stood up. I was so upset. I just sort of spontaneously, you know, just tried to explain what I'd studied. At the end of that class, everybody's walking out. He said, uh, Edwin Young, would you wait with me a minute? I said, oh, me, what did I say? What happened? And Dr. Lee asked me to come up, and he says, I'm looking for a grader, a fella, who will grade the papers in my class, and I'd like to ask you to do it. Well, I, I just, I said, yes, sir, what does that mean? He said, well, we'll pay you this, and that was big, because I'd worked my way through all to that time. He said, I'll pay you this, but you'll grade all, all the papers, all my classes. And I said, well, what about this class? He said, well, you grade the paper in here. When we get through every test, you wait around, bring your test up to me, and I'll read your test, and you can grade the rest of the papers on the basis of your test. Now, let me ask you something. 
I graded for him another two years before I went into another, another occupation in the church my senior year. But let me tell you something. You think I said, boy, I've got it made. Man, I, I'm grading my own paper. Well, I'll tell you what happened to me. I became a student of history. And when I would take a test and I would take my test up there, let me tell you something. I had worked, studied, I'd looked at every angle, and I aced every test in history. I took courses under him and other professors because I felt I had to prove my worth. He even taught sociology, and I graded the papers there. Later, he became dean of the School of Education. I never took a course in education, but I graded the papers there. What happened to me? Now I could just put that, even let me take the grades and put them in the book and record them officially. Because in those months and years with Dr. Lee, he became my mentor. And I wanted to please him. I want to do everything exactly right, and there were some tough times. One of my best friends roomed next door to me, and he was struggling in history and looked like he was going to fail, and, and I graded him as honestly as I did anybody else. Another guy in the class who I thought was an absolutely egomaniac, and he was brilliant, and I graded the brilliant guy I didn't like just like I graded my best friend. Also, a final exam, another guy I played basketball with against in high school and basketball with in college, and, and we ran around together. He's a tremendous guy, and I saw on the final exam, as I was studying his exam, it looked like he had copied about two paragraphs right out of the textbook, and I went to Dr. Lee, and I said, I know this guy. This is what he has done. So what happened? Dr. Lee believed in me because I responded to his leadership, and he was my shepherd. And I did not want to do one thing that would disappoint or let down my shepherd. Instead of letting up, I became, for the first time in my life, I'd been average up to them, a student. Do you see the point? We've received Jesus Christ in our life we said, the Lord is my shepherd. I am a sheep. And now we want to do by the power of the Holy Spirit everything we can to please him who is running your life and running my life. How do you know whether or not he is totally, completely your shepherd? Elijah, the last day of his life, do you know what he did? He went to Bethel and preached. He went to Jericho and preached. He kept his schedule. Elijah did everything he'd been doing all of his life. He didn't change a thing, though he knew it was his last day on this earth. If tomorrow is your last day, what would you change? Or are you and I living a life following the great shepherd that we would not have to change a thing in the world. The question, can you truly say, the Lord is my shepherd?